0: This is the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things
1: crypto related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. South Africa's crypto companies operate in a kind of no man's land when it comes to regulation, and that's something that's going to change in the course of this year. The Financial Sector Conduct Authority, or FSCA, plans to require crypto operators to register as financial service providers probably before the end of 2021. That probably won't eliminate crypto scams, but it'll certainly make it harder for them to operate. The good hats in the crypto space are clamoring for regulations. They want public oversight and trust that comes with being a financial services provider. It goes without saying that there is a trust deficit when it comes to cryptos. The public are confused when approached on WhatsApp and Facebook to invest in a Bitcoin scheme. A word of warning here. As a rule, if you get approached on WhatsApp or Facebook, there's a good chance you're about to get scammed. Hence, regulation is a vital step before we get mass adoption of cryptos in South Africa. Mirror Trading International was the largest crypto Ponzi scheme in 2020, according to Chain Analysis, with an estimated $589 million lost. And that's what we know so far. And hundreds of thousands of investors were caught up in this. A simple search of the CIPC database, that's the Companies and Intellectual Property Commission database, would reveal that MTI was registered in April 2019 and had just one director, Johann Steinberg. The company did not file annual financial returns as they were required to do, nor did they comply with a host of regulations and laws, including the Companies Act. To unpack this a little bit more, we're joined by Vihan Olafir, who is digital asset lead and partner at Mazars. Hi, Vihan. Good to have you on again. Just talk us through how regulation of the crypto space could have stopped MTI from becoming the international scam that it eventually became
0: yeah thanks kieran thanks for having me on again it's it's a pleasure to be here so first of all i think i need to start off to say with these laws and regulations around cryptocurrencies have been in place with the uh in the companies act itself But to further regulate the industry and making sure that these laws and regulations are adhered to, we need this monitoring agency, and and that's where the regulations, such as the FSCA, comes into play. So I think before we start, I just want to make mention and unpack the fact that we all are aware that Bitcoin was designed for this peer-to-peer transactions between two different parties. They don't trust necessarily each other and to facilitate these transactions over the Internet. Now, Bitcoin itself made use of, of two things. It made use of cryptography and decentralized ledger. So you don't have to trust the other person you're dealing with. Uh, there was no need for a central bank or intermediary, such as a commercial bank, anything that's also. So it operated almost out of an unregulated environment. But people fail to see is that cryptocurrency itself was designed to, to facilitate these transactions, but it wasn't designed to completely be without regulations, that it can't be regulated at all. But coming back to the regulations that we have in South Africa and the Companies Act, it's quite interesting that the Companies Act states that when a company holds uh, customer assets in a fiduciary capacity exceeding 5 million Rand, you need to be audited by a registered auditor. So you can imagine MTI, more than likely, they would have had uh, assets in a fiduciary capacity in excess of 5 million Rand, and most virtual asset service providers that have custody of of customer funds probably exceeds that five million in any case, because I think it's something like like six bitcoins uh, together. So that was the the one point. Then the Companies Act also states something called the public interest score. So the public interest score is is calculated in terms of the Companies Act. And it takes into consideration things such as the revenue of a company, uh, the number of shareholders, uh, the third party liabilities and the number of employees. Now, revenue, one point for every million rands worth of revenue, one point for every shareholder, one point for every million rand of third-party liability, and one point for every employee. So that basically calculates the public interest score. Now, as soon as a company has a public score in excess of 350, you are required to be audited in terms of the Companies Act. So we quickly perhaps jump to the accounting side of it. Let's go to to Mirror Trading International as an example again. For every investor that came and invested one rand or or, or one Bitcoin into Trading International. There would have been a debit being either the digital asset being received or the actual bank account and a credit being the customer liability. Now, I can imagine the amount of transactions and funds that were flowing into Trading International would have had this massive public interest score as a result of that third-party liability sitting on their balance sheet. Now, having said that, you can already see there's only two factors in the Companies Act that require Mirror Trading to be audited. Now, once a company is required to be audited, they need to provide audited financial statements six months after the financial year end. So let's back jump back to, to Mirror Trading International, the key days here, as you mentioned. The company was incorporated on the 30th of April 2019, and on the same day, they started business. They had a February year end. So that means incorporate on the 30th of April 2019. So their first financial year end would have been the 28th of February 2020. So, of course, going back to the Companies Act, the Companies Act says six months after the financial year end. So that would have been 31 August 2020. MTI had to produce audited financial statements for the first time. Had the company been regulated by the FACA, the FSCA would have required three months after the financial year, and so their financial statements would have had been submitted and ready and audited by the 31st of May. Now, from that perspective, you can see the way that funds were flowing into Mirror Trading International, also out the back door. That losses, that masses and masses amount of losses, could have been limited uh, to 31 May 2020 or 31 August 2020 instead of i think it was around december last year where where everything the house of cards fell in the issue here is there was no regulations in place and in addition to that if you look at the subsea report same the sole director never appointed an auditor to start with as well so there was no regulating body making sure that these financial statements are being compiled the audit has, is actually being conducted the auditor has been appointed and all those type of things so and of course if, if you are registered with the fsca they also do the uh, due diligence to make sure that they can issue that uh, that fsp that financial service provider license to you so besides from fsca doing their due diligence also if an auditor had to be appointed the auditor also had to do their due diligence to make sure that we can accept someone like an mti as the client now to, to give an example, back in June 2020, I got a message from a former colleague of mine that asked me whether I heard about MTI and whether it's something I, that, that I would recommend he invest in. So, of course, I just had a look at, at the MTI, made a username, logged in, had a look around. 15 minutes later, I logged out and said, this is a complete scam. It's clearly some type of, of Ponzi premise scheme, and I, and I just warned him to, to, to stay away. So that's the initial process that, that I would have followed as an auditor as well, which I followed. Uh, to make sure that there's nothing weird going on and there's actually a client that we will be able to accept. So let's say, for instance, they, they made it past that stage. Now, of course, in Mazar's, we've got a global acceptance committee. So anything cryptocurrency related needs to go through the group uh, acceptance committee to make sure that we have the capabilities, we have the resources, we have the expertise when it comes to cryptocurrencies to make sure we're able to take on this client. Even though if we, we went past that and we actually started with that engagement, there's for area assessments that, that we had to make as well from an audit perspective to actually assess whether there is inherent risk for the specific engagement now of course had we missed that during the planning stage there would have been also several red flags that that would have been identified from that perspective having missed that then we go down to the revenue so let's say for instance mirage trading international of course i haven't had an eye on any financial records or anything of that sort but let's say for instance they did account for the revenue the audit of that revenue actually we would have used it general control environment testing we would have used data analytics uh, we would have used application control testing and somewhere down the line out of the woodwork would have came that these transactions are actually fictitious trades taking place but let's say for instance going further and say we've missed all of that as well then of course we had a look at the digital assets have a look at the cryptocurrencies on the balance sheet as well now as i mentioned with every RAND being deposited into Miller Training International, there would have been a corresponding liability. Now, of course, from an audit perspective, we would have focused on the asset and worked to the liability and not vice versa. But essentially, we need to cover our risks from an audit perspective to make sure that the digital asset sitting on the balance sheet, that it's correctly valued, it does exist, it's complete, and the company actually has rights and ownership of that specific asset. So, of course, the valuation, that's easy. We go to the exchange, see what the, the cryptocurrency is trading at, at financial year, and multiply that with the BTC sitting on the balance sheet. Fine, fair enough, we, we're able to calculate the, the valuation of, of the uh, the digital assets from that perspective. But the completeness as well, it's it's more easy. It's just ITGC and application.
1: Just pause there. ITGC, what are you talking about?
0: So, ITGC is Information Technology uh, General Control Environment Testing. So, it's basically to get assurance around the, the general control environment uh, from an IT perspective of a specific company. Okay. So that that we usually do to get assurance over the environment, so we're able to use data analytics and, and application control testing as well. So from looking at the, the completeness of, of the digital assets, we would have looked at the reports, used our, our IT auditors to make sure we got assurance on the completeness, but I mean, that's not where the risk necessarily lies. The risk lies with rights and ownership and existence. How do you prove rights and ownerships and existence of a specific cryptocurrencies.
1: The FSCA actually came out with the, I think their first report into mirror trading was about August of 2020 which is around about the time that you said that they would have had to, if they were regulated by the FSCA, they would have had within three months to come up with some financial statements. So had that happened, we'd probably have been April, May, June, July. So around about July, just before August, we would have had some idea what was actually going on at Merit Trading. Even though the, the FSCA did issue a report, it seems that people were, the, the, the biggest inflow of funds seems to have come post that. In other words, between August and December of last year is when the, when the big flow of funds were, we're going towards mirror training. Yeah, that's a bit of a mystery, or maybe it's not so much of a mystery because they really doubled down on the on the marketing, and uh, you know that the multi-level marketing system was getting other people involved. People were obviously not looking or googling or or doing any kind of basic due diligence, and that's the point I wanted to break in there with you on. What kind of due diligence can the ordinary person do? You've been talking about some of the audit steps that you would take to verify these transactions, but what can the ordinary person do?
0: hundred percent. So I think a couple of months ago we had a discussion regarding your own type of due diligence that you can do to, to make sure that you're getting into bed essentially with someone or a virtual asset service provider that, that can be trusted. So some of the things that, that we're looking for is, is once again, it's white papers and investment methodologies that are extremely difficult to understand and to follow something like a level marketing scheme. It's extremely complex if you start reading through exactly how the the source of the revenue and the flow of the transactions work. Then also something to to watch out for is is complex and vague explanations of of investment opportunities. It needs to make commercial sense. You need to understand what they're doing and how they're doing it. It can't just be an answer of, no, a computer does it or a bot does it. It it needs to make commercial sense from from the uh, perspective of of how these revenues actually being generated. Things to watch out for, promises of guaranteed returns, which seem unrealistic. Of course, this is the bad thing with, if we're looking at cryptocurrency. There's been significant growth. There is masses of opportunities, but no one can guarantee it. What's happened has happened, but no one can guarantee it's going to happen again or it's going to be a certain percentage. So always be on the lookout for for unrealistic guaranteed returns. Then um, we spoke about uh, the the FOMO effect. that countdown clock and and this happens a lot with
1: just explain fomo the fomo effect what is that
0: <laughs> so the fomo effect essentially is is a fear of missing out so they have this clock here and this is a once in a lifetime opportunity and and it's ticking down and you think oh should, okay maybe maybe i must buy a, just to, to to get a possible investment and get a possible return from from the investment so that's that's one of the tactics that they also use to get in investors without actually thinking rationally over a period of time, what is this investment I'm investing into? So that's also one of the techniques that they use. Then, of course, phrases like for the generation of wealth, your money should work for you. Uh, you actually did a, a piece, uh, I think a week or two ago, Kiran, about um, people that invested with, a, we can call it a, a cryptocurrency broker. And if you look at the photos there, it's luxury cars, it's jewelry, uh, sometimes beaches, champagne, those type of things. Um, also, some things to look out for is poorly really pulled presentations, um, and what we have also seen, of course, someone acting on behalf of the exchange. That, of course, that's false. Like someone saying that they they are a Luna representative and they can take your cryptocurrency or fiat and and trade on 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 your behalf, which is also uh, a complete scam. Uh, from from what we've seen and in, in, in happening in, in the industry. Also, if you look at those websites or those presentations. Uh, have a look at bogus testimonials trying to create this illusion of credibility. Um, have a look at the team members on there, try to find out if they actually exist. Uh, have a look at the team members on the website, compare that to what you can find on LinkedIn. Um, and then also one of the key things to watch out for, which is Pyramid Scheme 101, is income that is not predominantly generated by the growth of your investment, but from a referral fee. So that's where your income is generated. Depend on how many people you get into the scheme.
1: Yeah, I would just add to that. If you're getting approached on WhatsApp and Facebook, I mentioned that at the beginning, generally speaking, just don't do it, just just run away. There's ways to do this correctly and there's ways not to do it correctly. And all of those guys who got involved in mirror trading that were promised 10% per month, Mm -hmm. and I'm still getting emails from them uh, to this day. The fact of the matter is, had they bought Bitcoin a year ago and held it, they would have done better. They were actually done better. Bitcoin is up 600% and and they're trying to make 10% per month. Well, you know, just sitting and holding it in your own wallet, you would have done much, much better.
0: Correct. And it it breaks my heart to see people lose their funds rather than just going to credible virtual asset service providers.
1: I mean, one has to... You know, have some pity for the FSCA, which we know is daily inundated with some new scam. And I'm having to refer a lot of these, these inquiries I'm getting to them. You know, MoneyWeb, we're getting calls and emails every week to investigate some new scheme, which all too often turns out to be a scam. And this ends up tarnishing the image of the whole industry. How can the auditor assist in cleaning up this image? After all, the, the auditor is a public and not a private good
0: you're hundred you're 100 percent correct so of course we have from audit firms audit tax and advisory firms we we render what is called private services which is more from a consult consultant perspective but if you look at an audit that's more the public service so we are our audit opinion if you have a look at it it's it's presented to the shareholders and of course all stakeholders alike so the same if you look at a, at a listed entity for example those financial statements are freely available because there are people from the general public that actually invest uh, invest in these Uh, listed companies so let's have a look at at the role we play as as auditors a couple of years ago laws and regulations came into place that requires the auditor to adhere to something called no claw which is non-compliance to laws and regulations so any form of non-compliance with rules and regulations, we need to report to our regulating body and any other body that, that would be affected or, or governs a specific type of, of entity. Uh, we've got the Code of Ethics on all sides. We've got SARS regulations that we adhere to. We've got the independent regulatory board of auditors that we need to, uh, to, to adhere to and their regulations and also report to them. We've got the South African Institute of Chartered Accountants. And you can see with the amount of regulations and and the normal procedures outside auditing and actual financial reporting that we need to adhere to, this is why audits sometimes become so costly as with all those regulations coming into place. But let's let's focus down to what the responsibilities of, of the auditors is. So the first step that we need to do is to make sure that we've got the resources and the capabilities to audit these virtual asset service providers. So do we have the technical technical abilities? Do we understand cryptocurrency? Do we understand the trade? Do we understand the security behind cryptocurrencies? Because one of the other standards that 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 govern us is, is the international standards of auditing, and it specifically says that you need to make sure that you have the resources available, either from a staffing and a technical uh, perspective, to make sure you're able to service these clients. And and just to give you an example um I was approached by our Singapore office to to assist with engagement on on stable coins and it took me a week and a half of the research to make sure that we have the expertise and the tools to make sure that we are able to to able to, to order these type of, uh, of, of, of stable coin entities so the same is you need to understand you can't just be looking at a computer screen and believing whoever's telling you a story about what's what what you're looking at is this the blockchain or, or something of that sort I mean there was exactly the same with the FSCA and MTI. MTI showed them this chaining bot, and the FSCA if you listen to, to Brandon Topham, is, he was just sitting there, but he didn't have any assurance that those transactions were actually occurring on, on the blockchain. No, I, I think um, he,
1: he went further than that. He said it didn't exist. There was no co- bot. Correct. Yeah.
0: <laughs> correct. So just to understand that fundamentals, to make sure that you understand cryptocurrency and you're able to audit it. And because I've, I've dealt with, with other individuals that believe that they know how to to gain assurance over a specific uh, if i can call it public care address which is essentially the account holding the cryptocurrencies and sometimes there's a mismatch between what 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 accounts had cryptocurrency in them on year end as opposed to after year end and getting missed uh, messed up or mixed up between uh, uh, those violences and actually you you're testing something that that provides you with no assurance so it does get very very technical from from a, a auditing of, of a cryptocurrency perspective but as i mentioned previously as well you can't go in and test this substantively so usually with an audit approach you have a substantive and a control based approach or purely substantive based approach but you can't go ticking and bashing and selecting a sample of 50 for a massive exchange that's trading about a billion u.s dollars in 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 cryptocurrency on a daily basis that's where you need ITGCs to come in. You need those data analytics to recalculate the entire population to make sure that you get the relevant assurance that you need. But I mean, from an audit perspective, we can only do these procedures if we're actually appointed as auditors. The onus still lies with the directors and the shareholders of that specific company to make sure they appoint an audit firm that is capable of dealing with these virtual asset service providers.
1: You know, it's an interesting thing about the the blockchain itself because there's been a lot of discussion about how the blockchain is going to revolutionize the audit procedure i think at the moment you you're only you're auditing a sample it might be 1 or 2 or 3% of the transactions that go through a company but with the blockchain you can actually do this a 100% sample in real time correct. not
0: so correct so that that's the wonderful thing about blockchain even though it's got this uh, this element of pseudo anonymity where you're not necessarily, you know, it doesn't say there. there's Vian Ulifir trading with, with, with Kieran. Um, it doesn't say that this is the owner of a, of a specific public key address. So it has that anonymity to it, but it's transparent by any way possible. So if you give the information, if you say to someone, this is my public key address that holds my Bitcoin, I can go have a look. On the on the actual blockchain and see it from that perspective. So the transparency that that blockchain technology and an open blockchain or public blockchains bring is is actually phenomenal. And and that's where we want to move into an environment with actually auditing and with these type of transactions. So for for these virtual asset service providers, is it, they should be treated exactly the same as as a listed entity uh, in in my view. In the sense that. Look, not necessarily their financial statements should be available to, to the general public, but at least say this is our auditor. On the on the bottom of the website, they've got their logo for their FSCA regulated, they've got their financial services um the provider logo, and of course then they've got their logo there. This is our auditors. We're actually adhering to laws and regulations, and we've appointed an auditor that understands the technology and are able to give the assurance to all the stakeholders involved because Essentially, if, if you are reporting or given a, or an opinion on one of these exchanges, it's not necessarily or you, you do have it, to a certain extent, you have some obligation towards the stakeholders. But you've also got a massive obligation to the general public as well, based on, again, on that, on that liability that's sitting on the company's balance sheet. But that's why I'm saying that it needs to be the transparency that the blockchain technology is offering us, but also be transparent you know, day-to-day dealings with, with customers from a virtual as a service provider perspective.
1: Yeah, I, I would also urge crypto companies that are operating in South Africa, you know, that have company registrations, post that up on your website so people can just do a quick check on it. Because, Good. And if it's your SIPC certificate, uh, then you know, it'll also show who your auditors are. And I think this is part of the, just the basic rudimentary due diligence that people will want to look at. And, you know, having discussed this with a number of different people, we are now entering a phase where the early adopters of cryptos were the techies, and they didn't really care too much about all this stuff, you know, the box ticking. Mm. But I think we're getting to a point now where uh, institutions and companies and family offices and that sort of thing are starting to look at it. And maybe some uh, people who are not particularly adept at, at looking at cryptos and how to <clears> investigate <throat> them and understand them, they, they need a little, a little bit of holding and a little bit of transparency on that. Just for the benefit of lic- listeners, maybe spell out who are the legitimate players in South Africa? And I know this this could be upsetting for people who are not mentioned, but you give us you know, your top of mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and by the way, if you're not mentioned here, it doesn't mean that you're not legitimate, but but just give us the, the top of mind, and, and I'll maybe add one or two if you miss.
0: Yeah, I think just from my perspective, these are the guys that I've met in the industry that that give me that, if I'm going call it that warm, fuzzy feeling from an auditor's perspective. So, um. Of course, there's Luno. Luno is also a client of Mazar's. Um, having dealt with them, having dealt with their uh, the security team with uh, with Timothy, who's one of the co-founders, also Jacques from their security team, they, their security is top-notch. It it really is something of a world class standard from that. So that's why, of course, from, from my own perspective, but I get that that comfort uh, uh from, from Luna. Of course. Uh, one of the other large exchanges in South Africa currently is is Valor. I've had one or two chats with, with Fazam previously. Um of course he he knows, he knows and understands that his line, his name and his co-founder's names are on the line when it comes to the security of, of of customers' funds. And also if you see how they treat their customers as well, you can clearly see that they've got the the if I can call it that methodology or that that uh if I can call it corporate uh, social responsibility that they know they've got in terms of of their, uh, of their customers. Of course, then from investment platform perspective, uh, Revex, also a client of ours, uh, dealing with Sean Sanders there. They also do remarkable work um, and um, also definitely a, a safe and secure place to, to invest with. Uh, also recently, I made contact with, uh, with Dean Joffy from, from BitFund. Um, very credible guys, um, very knowledgeable guys that clearly have their ducks in a row there, and also pro-regulations um some conversations i had with uh, richard de souza i haven't dealt with him in a in a, in a business environment whatsoever, whatsoever but i mean i've heard only good things from 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 richard and, and old trader um one of the guys i haven't met uh, previously john avidia but if you look at ovex uh, his company the work that they do is phenomenal and they've also got an extremely good track record i think they've been up and running since 2017 as well also give you that warm fuzzy feeling and then also More recently, um, I was appointed to do some work for for Invictus Capital as well um, on on their end. Also, from a security perspective and some of the work that I assisted them on relates to their security and their encryption. Um, Very, very credible guys there. And also, um, yeah, they're top-notch when it comes to security.
1: And I think EC10 would uh, fit into that category as well. Uh, You know, that's the company launched by Earl Loxton and Michael Jordan. Uh, (laughs) It has a similar product to Revix and were you investing in a bundle of cryptos? Um, so, okay, you've, you've been through a few, and again, uh, apologies if somebody feels that they have been left out of this, they're welcome to write and complain and uh, we'll try and rectify that in the future. Okay, but it is important, uh, because it's a question that comes up a lot, is who are the legitimate players and who are not? And, and we have to sort of try and help people over that hurdle a little bit. Just running out of time here, Vihan, the Companies Act has some protections, and you have to submit financial statements annually to the CIPC, depending on the size, and you went over the, uh, the scoring system, the public interest score. And so if you've got a score about 350, you've got to have audited financial statements. So there, there are certain things that you can check for and unfortunately, this is one of the things that you're going to have to do. If you're going to go into a relationship with a business, you want to start checking some of these things. Go to CIPCs to see who the directors are. Do they have offices? Do they have phone numbers? Uh, who are the directors? Do they have a track record of success? Who's the auditor? What does the website look like? Does it have bad English? Um, is it simply explained? Are they transparent? You know, the, you've mentioned some of these things already. But uh, are, there, are there any other protections that people should be looking for?
0: Yeah, not necessarily anything else because, I mean, what we're dealing with from the perspective of information that's available to you, that's the best checks that you can do to make sure that you get that comfort unless it's regulated. Because once it's regulated, it takes away that burden that you need to do. Of course, you need to do some of your own fact checks just to make sure that someone's not maybe using an FSCA logo and saying they are regulated. You can, of course, at any point in the stage, ask someone for the FSCA regulation, and you're going to check it uh, uh, to the FSCA website. But other than those procedures and, and, and methods that we explained earlier, there's not a hell of a lot more that we can do to to give you that assurance rather than just to do your own due diligence, but, of course, um, ask the questions. Ask the questions, have a look at SIPC, uh, do your Google searches as well. I mean, Google searches is the easiest thing in the world, and you just let you go into... Whatever you're looking at, and just type the word "scam" afterwards, because there would have been someone that fell for it the first time. Just don't be the person that falls for it the second time.
1: Yeah. Okay. L- last question here. Just talk about the the audit of the security of crypto companies. Now, this is a big deal. It's custodianship of cryptocurrencies. There's a huge amount of money that all of these crypto companies in South Africa have put into security. You mentioned Luno and Vala and Oquan Trader. You know they really have got this buttoned down pretty solidly, but it is a, a key issue in the crypto space: is how secure is your Bitcoin there? Now I imagine that's fairly technical. We don't need to go into the technical steps, but are there some ways that you can actually interrogate that? Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, so this is where it gets extremely interesting when it comes to the actual order of the cryptocurrency holding, as opposed to the. To the revenue generation from the physical transactions so uh, we've got hot cold and decreased wallets now essentially hot and cold wallets are connected to the internet hot wallets usually sends uh, cryptocurrency while the cold wallets receive it but the freeze wallets is the important part because that's where the majority of the cryptocurrency is stored and there's very very secure procedures uh put in place there to make sure that there's no uh, misappropriation of funds or any security threat so from a bitcoin's perspective uh, you can use something like a multisig as well, two or 3 multisig multi-sig, meaning it's like you need more than one person to actually sign a transaction. Um, some exchanges make use of custodians um, with also to safeguard the, uh, the, the cryptocurrency holdings. Um, but there's, there's various, various security measures in place. And all of these exchanges also apply something that's called KYC and AML, Know Your Client and Anti-Money Laundering, to also make sure that there is no illeg- illegitimate players actually using Uh, the specific exchange but of course when it comes to the actual auditing of these cryptocurrencies i mentioned previously there's a bunch of assertions that we need to cover from an audit perspective the two main assertions there is the existence does the cryptocurrency exist and does the person actually or the exchange actually own the cryptocurrencies so from an existence perspective we do reconciliation using our tools of various cryptocurrencies uh, on the various blockchains and we reconcile the balance up to the financial year to prove the actual existence of, of a cryptocurrency balance or public key address now where it gets extremely difficult is how do you prove someone has a public key address or how do you prove someone owns that public key address let's say for instance i'm trying to commit fraud and i'm just saying i've got 100, uh, a hundred bitcoin in this public key address and i show it to someone on the blockchain they can verify it okay fantastic but how do i prove ownership and that's where it gets extremely technical that's where we've developed these procedures um to to actually determine whether a company or individual has ownership of a public address using cryptographic message signing or something of that sort to actually gain the relevant assurance. So it does get very te- technical, but also I need to perhaps mention from, from a security perspective as well, you hear about hacks um, of funds being stolen from exchanges. Majority of the time it's stolen out of individuals' wallets. So let's say for instance, fraud of, of funds or, or coins being stolen on the blockchain itself. That, that's nearly impossible. I think there's a, a 0000001 percent of that actually happening. Funds being hacked from, from the exchange itself, there's always the possibility we, we see what happened in, in history. But also that's why individuals and, and people that invest with these virtual asset service providers also need to make sure that their passwords are up to scratch, that they've got those other security uh, measures and protocols in place to make sure that that their funds can't be stolen out of their wallets because to to use someone's email address as a username and and to try and figure out a password is actually quite easy um well i'll say easy but it takes time to try and break it but eventually it will be broken depending on the complexity of your password that's why everyone's always hammering to make your password as complex as possible but just to make sure that that you have those security measures in place so none of your funds can be moved outside of your wallet because most times where people say my funds have been stolen from the exchange, it's their own security that isn't strong enough.
1: Right. And I think one of the things everybody's got to do is there is a thing called two factor authentication. So that's another really? layer of security. When you're going onto Luno or Alcoin Trader or Valor, it's uh it's a time specific code that you gotta enter in from your smartphone and it's only you and the exchange that have got access to that key. And if you have that, it makes it virtually impossible, virtually impossible for anybody to steal your funds. So that that is almost like the minimum, bare minimum security that you've got to have in there. Vihan, we're going to leave it at that. Thanks so much for coming on and telling us about some of the audit steps that have to be taken and some of the unusual aspects of the crypto space. And I think what was also important is that people do realize that there are certain ways that they can check up on companies that are in the crypto space and do some basic due diligence for themselves. So thanks very much for that.
0: Only a pleasure. I hope I could have added some value and as well to make sure that uh, going forward um, that the uh, listeners out there investors don't fall pay to, to more scams uh, up until the point that we actually regulated in South Africa.
1: Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast hosted
0: by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go
1: to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.